morning, we're looking at a number of different ways where we see two different sides of God or two different sides of a coin that, that deal with God, and we're trying to figure out what is it that's there. For example, what we're doing right now is God a God uh, that, that we're to put our faith in, or are we to put our faith in science? Are there two different things there that we should be comparing? Do we go to the doctor when we're sick, or do we pray when we're sick? Or do we do both? Or can we do neither? All of that kind of stuff is what we've been looking at and trying to deal with as we deal with this section of this series. It's going to take a couple of more weeks. Here's the reason why. <clears throat> Inside the house of faith and science, there are lots of rooms we need to explore. We need to explore rooms about the ethics of cloning, the ethics of, of, of um, using stem cells, the ethics of how we go about doing medicine, the ethics of how we go about doing science, the issues of creation and evolution. There's so much at play when we get into the house of faith and science. The problem is, you can't just go into the room and enjoy the room. You first got to build the house. So we've got a number of weeks where we're looking at the fundamental principles, the foundation, the walls, the, the roof supports, the roof itself. We've got to look at the house and get the house built before we explore all of the rooms. So that's what we're doing right now. Last week, I began by noting how we began early in life with competitive thinking. Our kids play competitive sports. They play competitive games. Monopoly has a winner at the end of the game. Uh, gin, spades, bridge. There are winners of card games. There are winners and there are losers, dare we say. Admittedly, we've hit an age in culture where everyone's told that they're a winner. But the bottom line is, is they're not. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> I was working the New York Times crossword puzzle the other day, and the clue was um, second place. And the answer was loser. <laughs> What's well, a five-letter word for second place? Starts with an L, loser. Um, but first among losers, let's be real clear. So Larry Burgess sent me an email referencing something this week, and I, and I went back and I grabbed the book. It's one of those books I hate to buy because I don't want any money to go to the author. But I bought it anyway. It's a book by a fellow from Duke University uh, uh, named Alex... Rosenberg. Alex Rosenberg. Alex, if you watch this on the internet, sorry I couldn't remember your last name. Alex Rosenberg wrote this book, The Atheist's Guide to Reality, Survive or Enjoying Life Without Illusions. Here's what he said. An unblinking scientific worldview requires atheism. The claim that religion and science don't compete is good politics, but it's also confused. He says that unblinking scientific worldview 
requires atheism. They're at two ends of a teeter-totter. You can either have science or you can have faith. And he argues that faith is, is a vapor. It's a joke. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's for the um, idiots among us. Now, with due respect to this gentleman, having read his book and finding his book to be um, very light in the logic department, um, very heavy in, in just, you could use his book as a textbook of how arguments can be made falsely because he's, he's got confirmation bias that drips from every page. He's got uh, false syllogisms. He's got uh, 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 just every type of logical fallacy that you can come up with in a first-year logic class you will find in his book on the pages of it. I don't understand how he wrote that book and, and, and didn't do any better. But regardless of that, by the way, I would not recommend you buy the book. Don't give him your money. Um, it's loaded with errors. This idea that faith and science are on opposite ends of the spectrum is not right. I want to give you three options of the interplay between science and faith. And understand what we're trying to do here is, is come up and understand the biblical view of science. I'm convinced Alex doesn't get it, Alex Rosenberg, but I'm convinced many people in the church don't get it either. I think these are some of the most important lessons I could teach for you. These lessons go to the fundamentals that form our worldview. And if we don't realize that the view we have of the world affects how we live day to day, then we are naive and self-deceived. So let me give you three different options on how these can go together. Option number one. It is possible that science and faith... Ah, I see as I change from my computer to the one back there, faith has dropped its H. <laughs> it's fate. Ha. Fate ha ha. That is not the way we spell it in Lubbock. Science and faith in opposition to each other. That's one option. That's Alex Rosenberg's option. It's the option of many Christians. Option number two. There's some overlap between the two. It's a Venn diagram. There are areas of science that are also within the framework of faith. Some areas of faith that are also within the framework of science. But the two kind of also have their own independent existence. Option number three. Faith and science fully coexist. All of science is incorporated into a faith worldview. And faith is more than just science. But if you look visually at this, you will see the options that are in front of us and understand that Alex Rosenberg is option one. That is not where I am, and I do not believe that's where the Bible is. 
So here's what I'd like to do. I want to start out by doing some definitions and making sure that we all understand how I'm using certain vocabulary. If you understand how I'm using the vocabulary, then we're going to get into a little bit more depth about this subject. But the vocabulary is important. We'll start out with some easy ones. When I talk about biblical faith, I'm talking about a conviction that there is the universe, but beyond, outside the universe, there is a God who exists. Now, yes, he's also imminent. He's within the universe. He does all of these things. But God is transcendent. He exists outside of the universe as well. This universe with its time and its space is a, it's, it's a mosquito in the hand of God. God exists, time is, is, is a, time does not exist for God. Time is captive within this universe. God is without this universe. He is outside of it. So a biblical faith is a conviction that God, that the universe is not all there is. That God exists outside of the universe. Now, that's a biblical faith. Now, an important part of biblical faith, from my perspective, is when we study the Bible, we need to read the Bible in context. That means we read it not only in the sense, don't take passages out of context. You know, Judas went and he hung himself. And then you flip to another page, go thou and do likewise. I mean, you... You, you don't take things out of their immediate context, but it goes much deeper than that. There is a simple gospel truth in the Bible. You can't read this book without understanding that God loves you, that you are a sinner in need of God's saving grace, and that in Jesus Christ, he paid the price for your sins. It's here. It's, it's very easy to understand that. But the Bible itself is not just a simpleton book. The Bible is a collection of books that were written over a thousand years by different people in different languages. Yes, with the Holy Spirit breathing upon them, inspired by God. And conveying the message that God wanted to convey. But it's been done in very specific ways over a long time period. If you can't understand the languages, you don't get it in context. If you can't understand the culture, you don't get it in context. If you can't understand the literature type, you can't get it in context. So important for us, part of biblical faith is reading the Bible biblically, reading it in context for its language, reading it in context for its culture. When I speak of biblical faith, I'm also speaking of reading the Bible biblically. You with me? It's going to be extremely important. We'll come back to this when we look at some of these issues, because some of the issues come from people not reading the Bible biblically. All right, next definition. Science. 
when I use the word science, I'm talking about the study of physical reality to arrive at reliable knowledge. Science comes from a Latin word that means to, to know. Um, we use the Latin word in, in, uh, in legal circles, scienter. Uh, do you know before you commit a crime that you're committing it? If so, you've got the necessary mens rea or you've got the necessary intent. But this idea of science is it's a study of physical reality to, rely, to, a, to uh, arrive at reliable physical knowledge. Most people will use uh, and will reference the scientific method. Now, there's lots of scientists who will argue about a nuanced difference. This is that, and that's this, and I'm not fussing any of that. But in general, most every science book contains in the beginning a teaching that you observe, and then you form a hypothesis, and then you test the hypothesis, and you derive your conclusions. That scientific method is one that's, that's well-versed for at least the last 150 years in scientific thought. So that's our definition of science. Next word. I want you to be familiar with the word worldview. Worldview is a relatively recent word in the English language. The Germans have had a word for a long time, Weltanschauung which means the way you see the world. Your worldview is that comprehensive concept you've got. It's the big picture. It's what ultimate reality is to you. But the key is, when you have a worldview, how you view the world, science, faith, God, these things affect how you live and what you do with your life and what you really believe. In the dark places of your mind and in the bright places of your mind. Let me give you an example. If we go back to, um, let's see if this is working. There we go. If we go back to Alex Rosenberg. His book, The Atheist Guide to Reality. Where he says that science requires... A scientific worldview requires atheism, an unblinking, he called it, scientific method. Here's his worldview. This is a direct quote. This shows you how his view of reality affects everyday life. You ready? Straight out of the book. Is there a God? No. What is the nature of reality? Whatever physics says it is. What's the purpose of the universe? There is none. What's the meaning of life? Ditto. There is none. Why am I here? Just, ah, it's not coming up. Hold on, hold on. My remote control is not working well. What's the meaning of life? Ditto. There is none. Why am I here? Just dumb luck. Does prayer work? Of course not. Is there a soul? Is it immortal? Are you kidding? Is there free will? Not a chance. What happens when we die? 
everything pretty much goes on as before except us. <laughs> what is the difference between right and wrong, good and bad? There is no moral difference between them. Why should I be moral? Because it makes you feel better than being immoral. Is abortion, euthanasia, suicide, paying taxes, foreign aid, or anything else that you don't like, forbidden, permissible, or sometimes obligatory, anything goes. How about this one? What is love and how can I find it? He says love is the solution to a strategic interaction problem. Don't look for it. You'll find it when you need it. Do not try that out on your spouse tonight. <laughs> Honey, I found you to be the solution to a strategic inter interaction problem. Do you love me? Well, let's just say I found you to be a solution to a strategic interaction problem. Now, oh, he, a couple more quotes I pulled out of his book. Well, here we go. Does history have any meaning or purpose? It's full of sound and fury, but signifies nothing. Does the human past have any lessons for our future? Fewer and fewer, if it ever had any to begin with. Sorry for the typo. To begin with. That's what he says in the book. That is a worldview that filters down into how you see everything in your life. By the way, do not trust that man with anything you've got. He has no morality if he doesn't feel good about it. But if you want to steal from someone, he can't point a finger at you if you steal from him because he doesn't think it's wrong. He cannot live, by the way, consistent with his worldview because his worldview is not reality. But that's another class and another lesson. Let me give you the biblical worldview in contrast. I'll take some of the same quotations, but I'll give a biblical answer for you to show the difference in a biblical worldview. Is there a God? Yes. What is the nature of reality? Physical reality is what physics says it is. Non-physical reality also exists beyond the realm of what we see, smell, hear, taste, and touch. What is the purpose, come on, of the universe to show God's glory while giving humanity a chance to fulfill its purpose. What is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is to live in a relationship with the divine creator to his glory and to our benefit. Why am I here? Ditto. To live in relationship with the divine creator to his glory and to our benefit. Does prayer work? Yes. Absolutely it does. Is there a soul? Is it immortal? 
God created souls. God can also destroy them. If you doubt that, read Matthew 10, 28, where Jesus says, it. Don't fear someone who can destroy your body. Fear God who can destroy your body and your soul. Is there free will? Absolutely. Biblically, what happens when we die? Oh, go back, go back. Biblically, what happens when we die? There's a transient period when disembodied souls commune before God or in darkness and torment. Hebrews 11 through 12.1 talks about the people who've gone before and 12.1 says we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses in reference to those people who've died before. The people of faith in Hebrews 11. Luke 16, 19 through 31 is where Jesus tells the story about Lazarus and the rich man. And they both die. And Lazarus is with Jesus in the bosom of Abraham. And the rich man, or with God in the bosom of Abraham, the rich man is is in torment. Saying, please go tell my brothers so they don't make the same mistake I made. It's not the end of the world. He's in a transient state. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. There's a transient state. Revelation 5 and 6 has the throne scene in a transient state with the saints, those who have predeceased us, worshiping God. But there will come a final judgment when those who belong to Jesus are raised in an imperishable body. And Paul explains that in 1 Corinthians 15. Specifically look at verses 23 and 42 through 58. What happens when we die? That's the biblical worldview. What about this question he asks? What's the difference between, go back, right and wrong, good and bad? The biblical answer is right and wrong draw their definition from the morality of God. What God would do. In the same circumstances, we call right. What God would not do, we call wrong. Next question. Why should I be moral? Because this world is set up where doing God's will works out best. That's why. See, the difference in worldview, where you start makes a difference in everything that you do. It permeates all the way down. His question, should abortion, or is abortion, euthanasia, suicide, paying taxes, foreign aid, or anything else you don't like, forbidden, permissible, or sometimes obligatory? See the previous two answers, questions. I mean, it's what would God do? What does God teach? What is right? That's what's best, and that's what we should do. How about the last one? It's almost the last one. What is love and how can I find it? Love is the decision. First of all, there are lots of different kinds of love. That's a pretty loose word. Um, I love it when the Golden State Warriors lose in basketball. I just love it. I would love it if the Toronto Raptors could beat the Golden State Warriors in basketball. I'm a bitter man. I love my dog. I love to eat. 
Oh, especially if it's good food. Um, you know, I, I love my job some days. I love my wife. And I love my kids. I love my mom. I love my sisters and siblings and in-laws. But I feel very differently about my wife than I do the Golden State Warriors losing. I mean, I, I want both. But I feel differently about them. The love that I'm answering here is not, not anything other than the highest quality of love. And that kind of love is a decision to put someone else, it's a decision to put someone else's interests ahead of your own, or at least in line with your own. It's the caring that will come from cultivating this decision, often regardless of feelings. That's what love is. Next question, does history have any meaning or purpose? Well, yes, it teaches us certain truths from which we can learn. It confirms what we believe. It gives context for better understanding today. Does the human past have any lessons for our future? Absolutely. See the previous answer. Those are biblical worldviews. So when we look at that definition of a worldview, I want you to understand it's a comprehensive conception or apprehension of the world that affects the way you view reality. This becomes important because part of our worldview is how does science operate with faith? How does medicine operate with faith? How do we integrate those together? What is the role of science in this world? We, that is part of our conception of reality and it will affect the way we live. So we better get it right. We need to talk about these things. Next definition. You ready for this one? It's a little harder. Miracle. Look at the way I'm defining miracle. A change in history as it's being lived out. A change in life, events, that occurs because the divine God has directly altered the cosmos. Here's history on its course, and here's what it will do. But there are times where God makes a change in the normal course of events, where the divine enters in and does something. Now, I like to think of two kinds of pizza. There is deep dish, a.k.a. Chicago pizza. It's pretty good. But there's also thin crust New York pizza, which is pretty good. I mean, ultimately, there's good pizza and bad pizza, but even bad pizza is pretty good. <laughs> so you got two kinds of pizza. I want you to think about two kinds of miracles. I want you to think of two different ways the divine God alters the course of history. I've told you God exists outside space and time, outside the cosmos, right? Okay. Well, there are times where God can just reach into the cosmos and do something totally contrary to physics. Divine intervention that totally 
wipes out any concept of physics. Not going to happen. Non-understandable. Absolute miracle. You with me? But there's a second kind. See, the second kind of miracle... Oh, I didn't I'd take out the volume. You can take out the volume. We don't need the volume. It's like real... Ah, ah, ah. Okay, you just kind of sing to yourself. There's a second kind of miracle that I liken to weaving a tapestry. The threads are already there. History has already used those threads. That's the tapestry that's been woven thus far. But God takes those threads, the threads that are just already in nature, and he changes the way they're going to be woven. So that the picture is altered. I want you to get the difference. One is where God outside of nature just comes in and sticks his finger in and absolutely changes something. The other is where God takes what's unfolding in history, takes what's already there, and he reweaves the threads to alter the way they're going to turn out. Are you following me? Let's, let's see. It's the difference in pizza language of just God saying, poof, there's a pizza. Or God saying, okay, I'm going to make a pizza. I got some dough over here. I got some flour. I'll sprinkle on the dough. I'm going to roll it out. I'm going to take some tomatoes. I'm going to, are those cucumbers? Pickles? Nobody puts pickles on a pizza. Don't put the pickles on the pizza, God. You're going to ruin a good pizza. God can take the available ingredients that are already there and make a pizza. That's still a miracle. The pizza's not getting made if God doesn't make it. All right, so now I want to test you on this for a minute. Two kinds of miracles. One are those that are contrary to the laws of physics, and the others are those where God is using physics. You ready? The virgin birth. Which category? One or two? One. The laws of physics don't say that women are just spontaneously going to give birth. I'm not saying that, oh, well, there's cloning, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on. Don't argue this point. We know what that is. That was God. If the virgin, I guarantee you, nobody's going to say the virgin birth was just, well, sometimes that stuff happens. <laughs> and a court of law, that is not going to help you in a paternity case. <laughs> well, I don't know, man. Uh, sometimes it happens. How about this? God says, Israel, you've sinned. I'm going to send you into exile. Does he get the starship enterprise to beam them up from Jerusalem and beam them down into Babylon? Poof, do they appear in Babylon? No. 
He takes King Nebuchadnezzar and he sends him marching across from Babylon and he wipes out the city of Israel and he takes the captives and he hauls them all the way back to Babylon. How about when, when uh, um, um, Abraham is, uh, uh, and, and his offspring, they, they, famine hits the land in Genesis 26. God takes care of them. How? He tells them to go over to King Abimelech. He says, don't go to Egypt, go over to Abimelech. And he'll take care of you. And he moves the heart of the king. I mean, we get an idea that God uses this world. If you read scripture, which spans over a thousand years of time, I dare say 99% of the time the hand of God is by using this world and reworking the fabric and making the pizza rather than by saying poof of pizza's there. Now does that mean he can't say poof of pizza's there? Of course he can. But if you want to see what he does most of the time in history, a miracle happens with both of those. There's a danger here, though, if you only think that it's a miracle of God when it's contrary to the laws of physics. The danger is you're missing out on what God's doing. Here, spoiler alert. You go to the doctor and the doctor cures you from what you're sick of. Praise the Lord, God healed you. Medicine is his tool. He made this world for that. It's part of what he's doing in this world. Historically, people have only seen God in areas contrary to physics. And the problem that that has stumbled into is it makes religious people look like buffoons. Because of what's been called the God of the gaps. I tried to put a picture of it up here. Let's see if it works. In this picture, the bottom part of the picture are things that we know in science. We know now why sometimes the sun gets dark in the middle of the day. Because it's a lunar eclipse and the, the moon gets between us and the sun. We know things in science, but there are still some things science doesn't know. Those are the gaps in knowledge. People who believe a miracle is only when God acts contrary to the laws of physics think God is in all of the white up at the top. Well, this happened. We don't know why it happened. Must be a God thing. That's dangerous thinking. Because it's a God thing below the line too. What science has figured out is a God thing. God was not stunned when Einstein published E equals MC2. God didn't say, holy smoke. You mean energy? Equals mass times the speed of light squared? Talk about your wild coincidences. And to think we just made the stuff. 
Science is revealing the things of God, the wonders of God. Look back at our options one, two, and three. Science and faith, are they opposite? No. I love Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, the work of his hands and his fingers. That's the finely detailed work that Andrew McIntosh was talking about last Sunday. The fingers, the fine detailed work. They're revealed in the heavens. You learn what the heavens are, you're seeing the incredible, you learn the speed of light. You're learning the incredible handiwork of God. He's to be praised. Option two, this idea that there's some overlap. No, all truth is God's truth. All of it. God made E equals MC2. Einstein just discovered it. The biblical view is option number three. The biblical view is that science is what God has put together this world with. And we're discovering it. And you think, well, that's really clever of us. Why didn't God tell us? He did tell us. He told us science is God's tool for humanity to learn and to use for good ends and purposes. Don't get me wrong. Like everything else, we can mess it up and use it for foul ends and purposes. But it's there for good ends and purposes. This is what we discussed last week. God took the man and put him in Lubbock. I'm sorry, in the Garden of Eden to work it. And keep it. That whole concept of work and keep. Work means to manually do the labor. But keep, shamar. Keep means to look at something intelligently and attentively. And to work with it. And to guard it and protect it and to to, to nurture it. The whole concept of working and keeping the garden is, is that... This is God telling you, learn physics. Learn the laws of the physical world and use them for good purposes. It's right there in the first instructions given to Adam. That predates be fruitful and multiply. Which you understand you're doing if you understand some more of laws of biology and science. But all of this is stuff that we are to understand because the world is marred by sin after the fall. The world is living under the curse of pain and childbirth. Living under the curse of the ground where you have to toil all the days of your life to make your money, to eat your food. Thorns and thistles, the sweat of your brow, all of that there. But God gave us science as a tool to combat this fallen world. These are not opposite ends of the teeter-totter. We've got a world filled with evil. We've got a world filled with pain. We've got a world filled with earned tears. And you wonder where God is in the midst of it. God's trying to bring good from the evil. 
Well, that's what we're supposed to do. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his image. He put us here and he gave us responsibilities to do that. And the biblical view of science is simply that. That science is faith's physical tool for fighting the physical pain and the physical difficulties of this fallen world. And sometimes it wins and sometimes science loses. There is still pain and still death and still difficulties we can't beat. There is still terminal cancer. Doesn't mean God can't come in and cure it and alter the laws of physics. He can. I don't ever want to short that end. But normative, according to Scripture, 99% of the time, what he seems to be doing instead is working through this world in one way or another. Towards his ends. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, well, that would happen anyway. Don't pray. No. Pray about it. When it happens right, give God the glory and credit. Now, we've really got to get into a lot of stuff we don't have time for today. So here's your take action now. First of all, I want to live wisely. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears the words of mine and does them is going to be like a wise person who builds their house on the rock. Everyone who hears the words of Jesus and does them is going to be like a wise person who builds their house on the rock. That's what we want to be. I want to live wisely. If God says to do this, man, I'm, I'm all for learning physics. I'm all for encouraging people to, to find the cure to cancer. I want people to find out heart disease solutions. I want people to responsibly figure out how to do these things and how to test for early detection. And when they figure that stuff out, I'm going to give credit and praise and glory to God. When they can take the human genome and break it down into its individual layers of proteins and figure out where genetic anomalies are that cause different problems. I'm praising the Lord. They are seeing the delicacies, the intricacies of creation. When they can figure out how subatomic particles work and how many there are and discover new ones. I think there are over 158 of them now. Praise the Lord. Wow, what has he been doing? How much more is there to know? But all of that's part of a worldview that will affect the way I live. Next, I'm going to pray for God's work. I'm going to ask God, and I'm going to trust he's going to give it. I'm going to seek God, and I'm going to trust he'll be found. I'm going to pray for science to advance. I'm going to pray for good things to happen. I'm going to pray for the hungry to be fed. And then I'm going to look for ways I can be involved in doing that. And then our last take home, I'm going to glorify God for his work. I'm going to call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Because all of our salvation comes from God. Every good gift comes from God, James said. Every one. So next week, if you can come back, 
I've got some really, really good stuff to give you on this. But now let me bless you in the name of Jesus and we'll go home. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask your blessings on everyone who hears this message. Father, may we glorify you. May we bow in utter awe. Every time science uncovers something new, Father, may we give you the glory and you the honor and you the praise as we continue to understand how you work in our world so often. And Father, when we need you in ways that this world and these, the physics you made will not meet, would you be there to help us and to meet our needs there too? May we see you for the wonderful God you are and never diminish you. In the name of Jesus, amen. See you guys next week. Thank you for your attention.